Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. A guttural scream could be heard from a neighbouring compartment on a London train to Victoria. It had just pulled away from Brixton, and as the train sped along the tracks, an 18-year-old French au pair remained glued to her seat in terror. She was not sure what to do. She could tell that the noises were screams of fear from a female in the next compartment, but she was too frightened to raise the alarm. By the time the train pulled into Victoria, it was too late. Someone dashed through the carriage door and out of the station before anyone realised what had occurred. Over three decades later, it is still unclear what exactly happened on the 216 train. Welcome to They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is the 22nd in a series of bonus episodes. If you want to hear episodes of They Walk Among Us early and ad-free, for the cost of less than a single cup of coffee from the high street per month, head over to patreon.com forward slash they walk among us. Twenty-six-year-old Deborah Lindsley, known to her loved ones as Debbie, worked as a senior receptionist at Edinburgh's Ladbrook Dragonia Hotel. 
In late March 1988, Deborah journeyed to Lakeside Road in Bromley, visiting her parents Arthur and Marguerite, and her brother Gordon. She had a busy schedule, cramming a great deal into a short space of time. Deborah's trip, which included seeing relatives, doubled as an opportunity to take part in employment-based training. During the few days she was travelling through the English capital, Deborah had attended a refresher course in hotel management and catering at a hotel in Hampstead. Deborah had ambitions to become a banquet manager. She was also looking for a bridesmaid dress to wear at her brother's upcoming wedding. The shopping trip was successful. She ended up choosing a striking turquoise dress for the happy occasion. Deborah was due back at work on March 25th, but the family were looking forward to being reunited again at the wedding a few weeks later. On March 23rd, 1988, Deborah got a lift with her brother Gordon to Petswood Station so she could catch the 216 train which travelled from Orpington to Victoria. She waved goodbye to her brother as she turned to walk up the stairs toward the platform. Her shoulder-length curly brown hair sat on top of a black leather jacket, slightly concealing her large bangled earrings as she stood on the platform to wait for the train. Deborah was wearing a bright blue sweater and a patterned skirt, with blue tights and navy shoes. In her hands she held a plastic bag, a navy handbag and an olive-coloured holdall. Petswood Station was the first stop along the Orpington to Victoria route. There were ten more stops before the train would reach its final destination. As the carriages pulled up to the station... Deborah entered one of the passenger compartments through a door from the platform into an enclosed seating area. Unlike the more modern passenger carriages where seats are separated by a walkway down the centre of the train. Much like a booth, the compartments in the carriage were separated by partition walls, with three seats on each side, facing across from each other. Deborah was a smoker, and these compartments allowed smoking on board, so she gathered her belongings and sat down in the first compartment of the second carriage. It was around 2.18pm when the train left Petswood Station. During the next 15 to 25 minutes, Deborah smoked a cigarette, read her book and ate some sandwiches she had brought along for the half-an-hour journey. A French au pair was in the next compartment when she suddenly heard screams only moments after the train departed from Brixton Station, sometime around 2.45pm. The 18-year-old later recalled, The voice was that of a woman, and very high pitch from the compartment behind me. There were screams of fear. At first I thought it was young men teasing a young woman. Then I realised it was more serious. I thought it was a woman being raped. I wanted to use the alarm cord, but I remained glued to my seat. I was really afraid. 
When the train arrived at Victoria Station a few minutes later, the Opan noticed a man walking toward the exit from the direction where she had heard the screams. Unaware of what had happened, the au pair left the station without reporting what she had heard. After all of the passengers had disembarked, Ron Lacey, a rail porter, began the task of checking through each compartment for forgotten luggage or discarded rubbish. As he came to the first compartment of the second carriage, he was horrified by what he found. Deborah Lindsley was lying on the floor. Blood covered the interior of the compartment, pulling on the seats and floor. It was shortly after 2.50pm. Police quickly arrived and cordoned off the train. Deborah was pronounced dead at the scene and had sustained what appeared to be several knife wounds to her head, face, chest and hands. A preliminary examination was completed by Dr Ian West, head of forensic medicine at Guy's Hospital in central London. Dr West identified that one of the knife wounds had pierced Deborah's right lung and heart. While it was initially thought to be a sexual assault, the doctor found no signs of what was labelled sexual interference but there were several deep defensive wounds found on Deborah's hands and arms. She had suffered an estimated 11 stab wounds, with five injuries that significantly damaged her internal organs. The following day, Detective Superintendent Guy Mills with the Metropolitan Police spoke to the media in a press conference, urging women not to sit alone in closed compartments. Woolwich MP John Cartwright, who had been campaigning for the compartments to be scrapped following a number of incidents where women had been attacked or sexually assaulted on board, told reporters, It was only a matter of time before something like this happened. We have the oldest, dirtiest carriages, and once a woman is attacked in a single compartment, it is like being in a death trap. A spokesperson for British Rail said that the enclosed compartments were used only during peak times to ensure they were filled, but plans were announced to remove them entirely within two years. The compartments were not supposed to be used during off-peak times, the same period when Deborah Lindsley was attacked. Detective Superintendent Mills said the carriage may have been part of an eight-unit train earlier that day, which had been split up into two four-carriage trains. Describing the killer as a ruthless animal, Detective Superintendent Mills said, She had no escape apart from through the side doors onto the track, or into a station if the train was stationary explaining how the attack could have gone unnoticed by so many passengers. The detective added, The train goes through a tunnel at Penge, which takes about a minute, and her screams may have been drowned by the noise of the train. A reporter for the Daily News wrote an article claiming that the police had refused to comment on reports that the quote, 
Woman's head injuries were so severe it was initially thought she had leaned out of the window and had been hit by a train. When the au pair heard about the murder, she phoned the police, telling them what she had heard. The witness reported seeing a man aged in his 40s who was heavily built, with mid-length ginger hair and a thin moustache. She believed he was wearing grey trousers and a light-coloured jacket. Another passenger had seen a man leaving the same carriage Deborah was in as the train stopped at Penge East Station. He was described as being a white male aged in his late 20s or early 30s, standing at around 5 feet 8 inches tall with a stocky build and, quote, thick, solid legs. The unshaven man with shoulder-length blonde curly hair was seen wearing faded jeans and a beige jacket as he ran down the platform and entered a different carriage. He was dubbed Mr. Scruffy by the press. It was theorised that he may have been the same man seen just managing to catch the train at Shortland Station. A number of passengers had been accounted for, but it was believed that between 70 to 100 people had been on board the train at different times. The train stopped every two to four minutes along the line from Orpington to Brixton at Petswood, Bickley, Bromley South, Shortlands, Beckenham Junction, Kent House, Penge East, Sydenham Hill, West Dulwich and Hearn Hill. Brixton was the penultimate stop from where it took eight minutes to reach Victoria. At each stop, passengers disembarked or boarded. When the train arrived at the final destination, it was believed there were around 40 passengers on board. Over 50 members of the Metropolitan Police Force began painstakingly searching along the tracks from Orpington to Victoria, trying to recover the weapon used in the attack. It was believed to be a kitchen knife, five to seven inches long. Detective Chief Inspector Alec Edwards told the Sunday Times, This is a savage attack of the highest order, and it is clear that Deborah put up a tremendous struggle against the man. It may have been the start of a sexual attack, but we can't rule out any motives at this stage. In fact, Deborah had managed to wound her assailant, and a second DNA profile was found in blood at the scene. Detective Superintendent Guy Mills said, Deborah was only about 5 feet 5 inches tall, but it is possible she put up something of a struggle and that her attacker was injured. It could be that someone saw a bloodstained man leaving the train. All we know is that he is male and powerful, so it is vital that we identify everybody who was on that train. As commuters worried about their safety on board, the porter who found Deborah's body spoke with a reporter for the Daily Mirror. He said, I could not go home last night because I would have had to go on a train, and that would have made me think about it. I just don't want to think about it. The porter was not the only person terrified about going back to work. 
A 19-year-old woman reported that she had been waiting to board the train at Panji Station when a man jumped from one of the compartments and collided with her. The young woman had been walking toward the first compartment of the second carriage, but instead sat in the next compartment, and the man joined her. For the rest of the trip, he stared at her until the train arrived at Victoria Station. The police circulated a photo fit of the man she saw. Officers also questioned known offenders in the area to eliminate them from their inquiries. Deborah Lindsley's family were distraught by the news of her death. Her devastated mother, Marguerite, spoke to the Evening Standard the day after the murder and said, How can something like this happen? She was on a daytime train from a busy station, just going about her normal life. All this has shown is that no one is safe, and however much people talk about getting rid of closed carriages, that will never bring our daughter back to us. Deborah's father, Arthur, told reporters, I don't think I'm going to rest until this man is caught, even though I know it will not bring Deborah back. Someone must have seen the killer. He would have blood on him. Deborah would not have entered a closed compartment unless there was no other choice. Speaking about his flatmate, Gordon Taylor told the Aberdeen Evening Express that Deborah was, quote, a sweet, caring, considerate individual who would do no harm to anybody and would go to the ends of the world for you. Marguerite Lindsley also spoke about the family's plans to bury Deborah and the bridesmaid's gown that was purchased for the ceremony. Deborah had been looking forward to the wedding, Marguerite said. She looks so lovely in that dress. She will be buried in it with her bouquet. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at centair.com. A BBC Crime Watch appeal was aired on March 30th, a week after the murder. A female police constable dressed in clothing similar to Deborah's retraced the route she had taken from her parents' home to the station in her brother's red car before she boarded the train. Officers were posted at each station on the journey to question commuters about anything they may have noticed. However, Detective Chief Inspector Alec Edwards said they had not heard from anyone who had seen Deborah after arriving at the station. He told reporters, We have talked to over 40 passengers who were on the train, and we think there must be between 10 and 20 more we need to trace. We're hoping that this reconstruction today will jog people's memories. Detective Chief Inspector Edwards also said that Deborah would not have sat in the compartment unless she had to, saying, According to her family, she was a person who was rather cautious with whom she travelled. We felt sure there must have been some other passengers sitting in the compartment at some stage for her to have gotten into it. The reconstruction highlighted the portion of the journey between Brixton and Victoria Station when the authorities believed Deborah had likely been attacked. DCI Edwards said, The woman in the adjoining compartment heard what she thought was a woman screaming and shouting, and we're attaching particular significance to this. The police also confirmed their theory that Deborah had been killed as the train went through Penge Tunnel, soon after leaving the station where she had boarded. On April 1st, 1988, it was reported that a 59-year-old woman had been raped in a compartment on the Nottingham to Leeds train. The victim had boarded at 1.25pm on March 2nd and took her seat in one of the compartments in a corridor-linked carriage. 
Soon afterwards, a man who appeared to be in his early 20s joined her. He was described as being around 5 feet 6 inches tall, with an average build for his height. His skin was pale, and his complexion was clear with no distinguishing features apart from a small mouth and hazel or brown eyes. The man wore his black hair greased back on the top of his head, and it was cut short on the back and sides. The attacker forced the woman onto the seat, holding her down while he sexually assaulted her. When the ordeal was over, he left the compartment without a word. The victim was too afraid to report the incident until she heard about Deborah Lindsley's murder. A British Transport Police spokesperson told the press, We are obviously aware of certain similarities between the two cases, and we are keeping in close contact with our colleagues in London. We certainly can't rule out the possibility of a connection at this stage. The hunt for a killer the press dubbed the Railway Ripper continued without any solid leads for weeks on end. The murder weapon had not been found either, despite the large-scale inquiry. As Deborah's brother's wedding day came and went, her family had tried their best to enjoy the occasion. Still, an empty chair sat as a painful reminder of the bridesmaid who could not attend. An inquest had been adjourned until April 11th, when Deborah's remains were due to be released to her family. She was buried near the Holy Trinity Church in Bromley, wearing the bridesmaid dress she had purchased for Gordon's wedding on April 22nd. A reward of £30,000 was offered for information leading to the capture of the murderer, made by Deborah's employer's Ladbrokes Hotels and two private donors. At this point, more women were coming forward saying they had been assaulted on trains. On June 4th, it was reported that a 29-year-old woman had been the victim of a knife attack on the London Victoria train to Chichester a week prior. The suspect was a white male aged between 24 and 28, who stood around 5 feet 10 inches tall. He had a medium build, thick brown hair and brown eyes. He was wearing a smart blue suit when he demanded the woman's handbag. When she refused, he tore her blouse open, slashing her across the breasts, face and arms. The assailant fled with £15, which he had stolen from the victim. He left the train at East Croydon Station. The British Transport Police could not rule out a link between the attack and Deborah Lindsley's murder. However, among her possessions, Deborah still had her handbag, jewellery and the £5 she borrowed from her brother. A spokesperson for the British Transport Police said, This man is a complete lunatic and must be caught. We are treating this incident with the utmost seriousness. An 
inquest into Deborah Lindsley's death was held at Westminster Coroner's Court on November 16, 1988 by Coroner Dr David Knapman. It was revealed that over 5,000 people had been interviewed in relation to the murder inquiry and 600 of those had not been ruled out of the investigation. With the DNA sample obtained from the scene, the authorities were able to exclude some men on this list. The au pair who had heard screams from the adjacent compartment wrote a statement which was translated and read at the inquest. She said, When I got out of the train, I was immediately drawn to a man who seemed to have got out of the compartment behind mine. I saw him sideways on. He was a white man, about 40 years old, well-built, fat rather than muscular. His hair was red like the Duchess of York's. He had small eyes and was walking very slowly along the platform. I didn't report the screams to anyone because I didn't know what had happened. I was in a foreign country and didn't have much confidence. Surprisingly, the coroner criticised the reaction of the young au pair by telling the court, had she acted differently, it would have been of enormous assistance in helping the police. No doubt she faced difficulties with the language and a foreign country. I have often heard it said by police that the attitude of it's none of my business is far too prevalent these days. When a crime is committed... It is everybody's business. Speaking after the inquest was concluded, DCI Alec Edwards said he wanted to speak with the ginger man spotted at the scene, telling the press, he remains the main suspect. It was a motiveless killing. Despite extensive inquiries, the case went cold. The investigation was at a standstill. But in 2002, members of Scotland Yard's murder review group were assigned to carry out a reinvestigation. They were able to utilise the advances in forensic science techniques to make a full DNA profile, a genetic fingerprint of Deborah's killer. Keith Chamberlain from the MRG spoke to BBC News in September of that year and said, I look back at what forensic evidence they had at the time. Knowing the new techniques available, it stood out there was room for improvement in the forensic evidence. A profile was created the following month and it revealed that the killer was likely a white male aged between 30 and 40 years old at the time of the murder. The sample was run through the National DNA Database, which then contained records recovered from crime scenes from over 1.7 million people, but no match was found. At the time the case was reopened, Deborah's parents appealed for information. Her father Arthur said, Deborah's murder changed our lives completely, and everything is pre or post Deborah's death. Everything. 
our world changed on the 23rd of March 1988. Not only for Marguerite and I, but for our son and his family and all our friends and family. Speaking on ITV's Tonight with Trevor MacDonald, Marguerite Lindsley spoke about her relationship with Deborah. She remarked, I called her my treasure. She was a gorgeous little girl, and by the time she died she had become my pal, my mate. She was a dear person, a loving person, a generous person, a very outgoing person. Everybody loved her. That's how I want her to be remembered. Deborah's parents expressed confusion over the motiveless killing, and her father went on to say, She wasn't assaulted sexually, for which I thank God every day. If it was robbery, she only had a fiver that she'd borrowed from her brother. So why do it? Was it just a lust to kill? Deborah was actually returning to Scotland in the middle of the afternoon when you would not expect there to be any danger. She didn't put herself at risk like some girls do, and yet she paid for it with her life. Justice is part of the healing process. As a young boy brought up in the north of England, I was taught that England was a just place. I haven't had much justice. Deborah's friend and second flatmate at the time of the murder, Liz Cowie, said that Deborah's parents could not move forward until the killer was caught. However, her mother and father were grateful when the investigation was reopened, because it meant that at least Deborah was remembered. Arthur and Marguerite expressed disappointment at the initial investigation by the Metropolitan Police, and voicing her frustration, Marguerite said, Right from the beginning, we thought it was a stranger. But the police followed a set pattern working outwards from family and friends. I wanted them to take blood from all the men in Orpington. They said it was too expensive. It didn't strike me until after six months that they probably wouldn't get anyone. My opinion is that if you can't bring her back, there's no point. When asked by Jay Rayner from The Guardian how she felt about the theory that Deborah's killer may have died, Marguerite replied, People tell me to get rid of my anger, but I'm staying angry. I have a right to be angry. By 2005, Marguerite's anger had not subsided. She told journalist Robert Fisk that she had lost faith in the justice system. We have given up hope, she said. They do not usually catch them when it is this long. I think I knew six months after she died that we weren't going to catch him. We will never forget her. In fact, we raised a glass to her and made sure her grave was nicely decorated for her birthday on October 20th. If they had caught him straight away, then he probably would have been out by now. That would have made me even angrier than the fact he's never been caught, because he could be dead or always looking over his shoulder. When they first closed the case, it was as if her life had never been. Now I know even if they do not catch somebody, they have tried. 
is not closed, and that is just one small ray of hope. Sadly, Marguerite Lindsley would not see justice during her lifetime, as she passed away still waiting for her daughter's killer to be apprehended. Arthur and Gordon Lindsley continued advocating for Deborah in the years since. In 2013, Arthur spoke to BBC News and said, When Deborah was murdered... The senior investigating officer described the attack as savage and brutal. She was stabbed at least five times, and because of the severity of the attack, he was of the opinion that it was unlikely that this was the culprit's first violent offence. Deborah had deep defence wounds on her hands, but despite this, she injured him during the struggle. As a result of this, a full DNA profile has subsequently been obtained of the attacker. So here we have a probable repeat violent offender. And we have his full DNA profile. But he is not on the DNA database. I find that very puzzling. There must be a partner, relative or friend out there who knows of someone who returned home with an unexplained injury and we are appealing for that person or persons to come forward. So where are we now? As DNA technology continues to advance, investigators began looking for familial matches to Deborah Lindsley's killer. A £20,000 reward was offered in 2013 for information leading to the arrest, charge and conviction of the offender. On the 30th anniversary of Deborah's death, her father appealed to the public and said, Despite the DNA profile of the suspect being available, the person responsible has still not been found. I appealed in 2013 for those who had suspicions about a partner, a friend or relative to please come forward, and I renew that appeal now on this anniversary of Deborah's death. Detective Inspector Susan Stansfield from the Metropolitan Police Special Casework Investigation Team also asked the public for their help, saying, Our efforts to trace the perpetrator continue. We will do everything in our power to identify the killer and bring them to justice. We have a DNA profile of the suspect, and this remains a key piece of evidence that we are following up on. As well as the physical evidence at our disposal, we would be keen to hear from anyone who has information that might assist the inquiry. Have you had an unusual out-of-the-blue conversation with someone about the murder in the intervening years? Has someone confided in you with information only the killer would know? Although this happened 30 years ago, you may recall being on that train or at a station on the route and seeing something which at the time you thought nothing of, but in light of what happened was out of place and suspicious, and might be significant. The response to Deborah Lindsley's murder from British Rail was to speed up the phasing out of compartment carriages 
and have guards patrol the carriages in transit. Sadly, Deborah Lindsley's death was neither the first nor the last time a woman would be attacked or murdered in and around the London area, on or close to a train carriage. Just a few years earlier, a serial rapist and murderer had been caught and brought to justice, but his dark-haired accomplice was still on the loose at the time Deborah Lindsley was murdered. In the next episode of They Walk Among Us, we will cover the Railway Killers. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right, because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns, so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves, without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com.